Welcome to the Marriage Reform Prayer Call. My name is Kim Moore, and I'm so excited that you're here with us tonight. Uh, Before we get started, I know Amy has several announcements, so we want to make sure that we get those in at the beginning. And so if you have a pen or a paper, you may want to jot some things down. Amy, are you on the line? I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Well, first of all, we are just so excited to be with you guys tonight. We're actually just getting out of a prayer service at Forerunner City Church, our our home church here in Gainesville, Georgia. But um, we just really want to thank, just a special thanks to Patsy, to Patricia Shannon. She just did such an amazing job coordinating in, in Dover, Delaware, and it, you know, was just amazing, just all the connections and the people she invited and, and just really getting things together. So, Patsy, just really thank you for everything that you have done, not just um, in Delaware, but especially for Delaware. We just really appreciate you. And um, our next date, so we've we've been in Alabama and in Dover, Delaware, and our next date will be... February 23rd, it'll be South Carolina, so that's Columbia, on a Sunday, the 23rd at 3. So if you are interested in in volunteering or coming with us, you can email Kim, and um, just in the subject line, you can just write your state name and volunteer. So that would go for any of the states we go to. But for now, it's South Carolina. And then we are um, thinking about Maryland, D.C., and Virginia in April. So if you're in any of those states and um, would like to volunteer or help in any way or just come and and be a part, then you can email um, Kim just with, again, with the subject line being your state and volunteer. And, um, and Amy, that email address is? Yes. Um, Kim, do you want them to use Kim Moore? Yes, please. Kim at moreonrelationships.com. That's M-O-O-R-E on relationships. Kim at M-O-O-R-E on relationships.com. And then one more thing before we get going. Tomorrow we are going to go live, Facebook Live at 1. So on um, Kim's page, Kim Moore. So Facebook Live at 1 just to go over some kingdom principles that we go over tonight. And that is it. After our call tonight, we will take questions. So if you have a question, Uh, Go ahead and get it ready, and I've already had some that have come in, but um, you can also at the end, star six, unmute yourself and ask questions after we're done with prayer. And (coughs) we're just asking, just just cut to the chase and get to your question, and then if if Kim has any questions, she can um, ask for more information. But if you have a question, just go ahead and and get it out there. We want to make sure we get everyone's questions answered. Thank you, thank you. Go ahead, Kim. All right. Well, we're excited. And, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us, those of you that regularly join us, as well as those that are on for the first time. We are laboring together with God to bring about 
a divine makeover in marriage in the body of Christ. And I'll tell you, this is no small undertaking because it involves changing the way husbands and wives think, the way they interact, and the way they behave in marriage. And I tell you what, uh, it is, it's transformative, but it is also humbling. Um, and so uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a task that's well beyond my own personal ability or skill set. I'm just a part of it as well as you are. But as we come together, your faith, your time, and sacrifice all contribute to making the burden light and making it all possible. And that's because God just continues to like to use people to bring about his will on the earth. I mean, after all, he gave it to us. And so therefore, it's, you know, pretty reasonable to think that he would use us to manage what he has given to us. Speaking of people, I thought it was confirming of our work together that yesterday the cover of Sports Illustrated featured quarterback, uh, the quarterback, um, Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, who is an outspoken Christian. But even more significant than that, on the cover of this magazine were the words, kingdom comeback, and it appeared boldly. I mean, Come on, kingdom comeback? We've been praying and declaring kingdom comeback. A kingdom would come to marriage since July 1st, 2018. And so we believe it is the will of God. He's also given us a strategy. That's why we're going to every state and U.S. territory to proclaim kingdom marriage. And, um, you know, as Amy has said, we've already been to a few states and, and plan to hit all of them. And so if you want to help to do that, um, just email me your name, and as she said, put your state in the subject line, as well as the word volunteer, and we will respond to you. So check this out. God gave us his will, kingdom marriage. He gave us a strategy, go to the state capitals and declare it on the steps and, and, and in the, the area and in the place where legislation takes place because we are legislating the kingdom and legislating it in the place that legislation takes place in the earth. So he gave us his will. He gave us a strategy. Today, through Sports Illustrated, he confirmed his timing, that now is the time for the message of kingdom marriage. So thank you again for, for all that you do, um, your prayers for me, for Amy, for the team, for showing up each week. Uh, and, and also when we come to your state showing up and also your financial support. We cannot do it without you. So let's carry on. And uh, for those of you joining us for the first time, here's what happens. Here's the, the format so that you can follow. We open with prayer. Then, I, then I'm in a series where I'm distinguishing uh, the differences between religious marriage and kingdom marriage. And then we'll pray. And then tonight, after that, we will take a few questions. So let's pray. Father, you are here. You promised that if two or three gathered in your name, that you would be present. And so we count you present, even though our eyes cannot see you. Our faith sees you, hears you, and responds to you. Lord, we appeal to your will and good pleasure that it would manifest in the lives of husbands and wives. Father, we pray and we thank you for answering the hunger, husbands and wives, for something more, for answering their thirst for something better, even through kingdom marriage. I thank you that kingdom marriage is setting husbands and wives free to experience more love, 
more power, more personal power in marriage. I thank you, Father God, that kingdom marriage focuses on the truths that transcend gender and economics and education and cultural differences between husbands and wives. Lord, we thank you that your kingdom has come, and because it's here, your will is being done on earth and in the marriages of husbands and wives. We thank you. In response to our prayers, you have ordained this time, this point in time, a divine makeover for marriage, uh, in marriage for the body of Christ, that each couple can fulfill its design, its, its destiny, its, its unique destiny, God, as you have assigned. And we thank you for allowing us to take part in what you're doing. Mm. We thank you, Father God. We thank you for allowing us to help you, God, restore our nation to its biblical roots by working, Lord, through husbands and wives. And so, Father God, as marriage goes, so goes our nation. And so we thank you that as we take back marriage, we are also taking back our nation. We thank you for choosing us, God, to be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight I want to distinguish how religious marriage and kingdom marriage treat the topic of roles. So let me give you the takeaways, uh, and if you have a pen, you can write these down. There are four of them. The first takeaway is this. In religious marriage, roles are another set of external nuts and bolts that hold the model of hierarchy together. In kingdom marriage, roles are another set of muscles that hold the model of relationships together. And then number two, in religious marriage, roles are gender-based. In kingdom marriage, roles are skill and ability-based. Number three, in religious marriage, roles rank husbands and wives. They define the relationship and prescribe how husbands and wives are supposed to interact with each other and it's based on rank. And then in kingdom marriage, roles truly divide the work in the home, the business, or ministry. Love defines the relationship and how husbands and wives interact with each other. And number four, in religious marriage, roles are fixed and static. In kingdom marriage, roles are flexible and dynamic. So tonight, my guess is we'll probably get through the first two because it's more important that you get what I'm saying versus me rush through uh, this revelation that God has given me. So we will stop in enough time that we'll be able to take your questions. I think we'll all agree that roles are necessary to divide responsibilities and the labor required to build and maintain a home and carry out the unique and specific assignments God gives to each couple. You know, a role is a position, a function. Um, They involve taking responsibility for the express purpose of completing a task or accomplishing a goal. Roles have to do with how we behave in the marriage relation, uh, how we behave in relationship to the tasks, the duties, and all of those things in the routines of daily living uh, in in marriage. A role may or may not, this is important, a role may or may not reflect who we are. Here, for instance, giving money to a cause does not necessarily make one a generous person. Some give money to gain access to a personal event or event or to get something. 
a truly generous person gives continuously and is not motivated by what it is, is not primarily motivated by what he or she will get in return. Let me, let me just say there's nothing wrong with giving to get something. There's nothing wrong with sowing in order that you may reap something. But a generous person does more than just sow to reap. They sow because it's in them. The spirit of generosity is in them, and it is beyond just looking for something in in return. And so I'm just distinguishing a person filled with generosity and is it it just really has a uh, generous spirit versus one that gives because. there's just they either want something to gain something legitimately or not. Generous people, they just spill out. I mean, they just give all over the place. That's just who they are. And so you can you can have a role and perform a role, and it may or may not be consistent with who you are. That's important. Likewise, a role is something we do. It's not simply something we are. It's a title, and it has some corresponding or list of job duties attached to it. Um, you see that often in job descriptions. There's the role, and then there's the duties that help to fulfill that particular. Let's take a closer look at the, at the takeaways. The first one was, in religious marriage, roles serve as another, another set of nuts and bolts that hold the model of hierarchy together. Without nuts and bolts, religious marriage falls apart. So if roles help hold the hierarchy in place, if roles are not in place, then religious marriage is weakened or it falls apart. We only have to look at some of our own marriages and those around us to see that that is what's taking the place. Marriages are falling apart, and part of that is the nuts and bolts that hold it together in a religious marriage are becoming undone. You see, religious marriage does not require love. It requires husbands and wives to be dutiful, to fulfill a role that has been pre-assigned to them. Can you, I mean, think about it. Think of, can you think of any loveless marriages? Emotionally disconnected husbands and wives? I mean, they live together, but there's, I mean, really, it's like roommates. I mean, there's just no emotional connection. They're all around us. They're hungering and thirsting for something better. But they stay married. They are committed. They fulfill their role and their responsibility. But, again, there's no love. And the Bible talks about doing all these things and having not love. In 1 Corinthians, it says they're tinkling symbols. It's like brass. It's like it's nothing. So you can have a religious marriage. You can go through all the duties, role, and responsibilities of your prescribed Uh, of your prescribed gender and still not have love. See, in religious marriage, roles join, they join the laws, the rules, and gender assigned needs that we've already talked about as as additional nuts and bolts to hold the hierarchy together. Here's a picture, and this might help. Some of you might be familiar with erector sets, and they go by different names, but basically these are metal toy construction sets. And they come with these metal uh, beams that really spaced holes in them for assembly. And you assemble them using nuts and bolts. 
They come with wheels and other movable parts to simulate a real working car, truck, or airplane. Just Google it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. This is a good picture of a religious marriage. It has many components of a kingdom marriage, but it lacks the life or love or relationship that is central to kingdom marriage. It's man-made. It's a simulated version of marriage that, is pre- that has predictable moving parts called roles and other things. In kingdom marriage, roles are another set of working muscles that hold the marriage together. They do for marriage, the marriage relationship, and what takes place in the house, what muscles do for the human body. And with few exceptions, husbands and wives have the same muscles in their body. In one exception are the reproductive muscles. Men have certain reproductive muscles and women have other reproductive muscles. But in most other cases, they have the same muscles. The differences are not in the muscles. They share most of them. The difference is in the size and mass, not in the function. In other words, muscles, whether they're larger or smaller, do the same thing. They perform, they have the capacity to perform the same task. In other words, kingdom roles or the muscles that get the work done are no different uh, between husbands and wives. The difference is in the size of the skill and ability to get the job done and get it done well. But we'll come back to that shortly. Number two, in religious marriage, roles are gender-based. For instance, it's generally accepted that the role or position of husband is one of leadership, spiritual and otherwise, the provider of material resources, and the protector. And the husband's role as leader is primarily taken from Ephesians 5.23. It reads this way in the Passion Translation, for the husband provides leadership for the wife, just as Christ provides leadership for his church as the Savior and Reviver of the body. Now put your seatbelts on because I'm about to challenge your theology. So let's examine that scripture by the scripture. So let's prove whether that scripture is true the way it's presented by other scriptures. So individually, husbands and wives are kingdom citizens. We all agree that if we are born again, we would have been born into the kingdom, and that makes us kingdom citizens. As such, each one has been given the Holy Spirit. So we need to understand what the Scripture says about the Holy Spirit in the life of each kingdom citizen, married or not. So here's what I found. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Again, we're proving the Scripture that the husband is the leader of the wife by the Scripture. So either the Scriptures I read will support that or they will not. So not you listen closely. We're looking at the Holy Spirit and its role in the life of the kingdom citizen, male, female, husband, or wife. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that yourself, you yourselves are God's temple and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Verse 17 tells us the Lord, that is Jesus Christ, is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ. I should say this, is the testimony of Jesus Christ. It is the spirit, the same spirit that was in Christ. He knows, the Holy Spirit knows 
everything about everyone and anything there is, to, there is something to know about. The Holy Spirit is present everywhere, all the time. It is all powerful. There is no one, nothing more powerful than the God Almighty. This God lives in every man, woman, husband, and wife that believes in Jesus Christ. Marriage is no exception. Number two, uh, the second scripture, John fourteen twenty six. Again, we're looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in relationship to what we are taught that the husband is the leader of the wife. Jesus told his disciples, this is Jesus speaking in John fourteen twenty six. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus just said the Holy Spirit's job, his role, is to teach each husband and wife all things. 1 John 2.27, Jesus repeat, John repeats Jesus' words. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, that is you, husband and wife, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, he, you will abide in him. So he will teach us giving us the grace and the capacity and the strength to abide in him. John 16, 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. The Greek word translated guide here means to lead or to teach. Jesus clarifies, this is Jesus speaking, Jesus clarifies for us that the role and the responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to lead and teach both husbands and wives. And these are just a few scriptures that contradict what religious marriage has taught us for years. The idea that husbands are the spiritual leaders and the material leaders of their wives, which has since morphed into the husbands are the leader or the head of their entire home. You've heard it. I'm not making this up. But Jesus, not me, declares that this role belongs to the Holy Spirit at work in the life of every believer, married or not, and his job is to lead and teach the citizens of the kingdom, his citizens. Philippians 2.13 says this, not in your own strength, for it is God who is all, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for His good pleasure and satisf- satisfaction and delight. The Bible says it is God, not man, not the husband, working in the wife, working in the believer to include husbands and wives, but God working in each one, giving each one the power and the desire, the will to cooperate with what he has intends for their particular life. 
You think about it this way. If you go and decide to change your citizenship to another country, that country assigns one like you who is applying for citizenship also to lead you and teach you the rights, responsibility, and ways of the country to which you are both applying. How does that work? How, how does that work? Listen, every kingdom citizen must be taught by the king. First Timothy 2.5 says, For God is one, and there is one mediator between man and God, the sons of men, the true man, Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Every husband and wife must learn, know, and grow in his or her ability to hear, to see, to hear, and respond to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the king of his kingdom for him or herself. It's a requirement. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. In other words, it is up to each one individually to hear the knock, to hear the voice, and to open up his heart that the Lord might come in in fellowship. Romans 8.14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. How can we be led If we do not hear, how can we be led by the Spirit and follow unless we can see? Hearing and seeing for ourselves is a non-negotiable in the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me say this for everybody before you think I'm just off my rockers here. The Holy Spirit may choose and allow husbands to take part in his, listen, his leadership and teaching of their wives, but he has not relinquished this responsibility, this role or responsibility, and solely given it or assigned it to husbands. Again, he may allow husbands to take part in his leadership and teaching of wives, but he has not relinquished this responsibility or role to husbands to administer at their discretion. That's real key because Galatians 5.18 says this, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, religious marriage is law-based, and it would lead us to believe that the husband is the leader of the wife, but that that contradicts Jesus' own words. Religious marriage is law-based, and if we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. Jesus Christ, Galatians 5.1 says, he has come to set us free for freedom's sake. And one rule that has done considerable harm to both husbands and wives is the idea that husbands are the primary and solely responsible for the leadership of the wise. Leadership, provision, and protection are neither masculine or feminine in the kingdom. See, religion masculinizes leadership, provision, and protection. But when I think of masculine and feminine, I think about a human body. It's clearly that there is a 
gender difference when we talk about the human body. All, all the husband and wife have to do is get naked and they can see the difference. But leadership is not so. Provision is not so. God can cause leadership through male or female. He can cause provision to come through male or female. He can provide protection through male or female. And those roles, provision, protection, are also assigned roles. Religious, uh, religion assigns a role to a man. But let me suggest to you that if you become between a mother and her babies, she will protect those babies fiercely. So protection is not a gender concept. It is a kingdom concept, and every citizen knows how to lead, provide, and protect. They're tools that can be engaged by both husband and wife. So listen, wives, we can no longer blame our circumstances, the quality of our life, on our husband's lack of leadership, lack of provision, nor failure to protect us as their own body. As a kingdom citizen, you are qualified to lead, provide, and protect. And we'll talk about, uh, and, and I have some examples of what that looks like, how husbands and wives flow together. But you'll have to stay tuned because I'll probably deal with that when I address the, the topic of hierarchy. Listen, each marriage is unique and may look different, but it is the self-same spirit that should be apparent in all, for the Lord God is one. In religious marriage, husbands and wives lead, husbands and wives, husbands lead, wives submit. Husbands provide, wives receive and prepare. Husbands protect and wives act honorable. And so you, in order to have uh, the role of leadership, then you have to have the corresponding role of wives as fellowship or submission. In order to provide, the role of provider needs a recipient. So wives receive. They are the receivers of the provision of the husband. And again, uh, they prepare. And then in, in order for husbands to function the wives of protection, then they need uh, something or someone to protect or the wives' vulnerability to protect. Like leadership, provision and protection, submission, receiving, preparing, and vulnerability are neither masculine nor feminine. Religious marriage makes them masculine or feminine so that they can be used as nuts and bolts to hold the hierarchy together. But in the kingdom, leadership, provision, protection, submission, receiving, preparing, and vulnerability, they are values that are shared by every kingdom citizen. Every kingdom citizen is required to submit, receive, prepare, and show vulnerability. Jesus is our example, and he is the prototype. Amy just interjected something. So the husband is not solely responsible. That is the way it is presented. Yes, absolutely. The way it's presented in religious marriage, that the husband is solely and primarily responsible for leadership, provision, and protection. And so when we go back to Ephesians 5.23, you'll remember, remember what we read in the beginning, because I said a lot, but let me take you back to the verse, because we were comparing the verse I read with the verse that we are commonly given in Ephesians 5.23, which says, for the husband provides leadership for the wife, just as Christ provides leadership for his church as the Savior and the Reviver 
of the body. Listen, when the husband reflects Christ and provides leadership that is consistent with Christ, God is the glory. But God is not dependent on the husband leading or teaching the wife in order for her to mature as a kingdom citizen, in order for her to grow in her function, in her role as a wife. But religious marriage would have you and I to believe that unless he leads, she can't follow. Here's one way it shows up practically. I will have clients call me. I will have wives call me and say, I really want counseling, but my husband doesn't want it, so I can't do it at this time. And I was like, "Um, okay, you may – the decision to receive counseling is a personal one. It is great when husbands and wives choose to do counseling together. But I'll tell you this, I've had more success when I've worked with one husband and wife teaching kingdom than when I have both husband and wife there trying to convince or work with them to dismantle their thinking in the way they're approaching marriage. See, we are two units, fully complete and self-sufficient, working together towards some greater end. So we are interdependent, but we are not dependent on one another. Oh, my gosh. I've said a mouthful tonight. I'm not going to even go to to the next. I I really think we probably should stop here. It's right at 930. Either I've sent you guys into silence because you were just thinking about this and really reflecting or or perhaps even challenging some of this and and objecting to some of this based on the things that you taught and have become to believe. You know, I think one of the hardest things about being Christian is this. When you have believed something for a very long time and then revelation comes that challenges that or a truth comes that challenges that, Because what happens at that point, you have to make a decision to abandon years of teaching to embrace something new. And that's all of our challenge, because all of us have lived and believed things that we later learn are just not true. So here's what I want to do. I just, I want to stop here because I've said a whole, whole lot today, and we pick up here um, next week. So what I'm going to do is just go ahead and pray and uh just remind you of the, um, the takeaways that I talked about today. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true that every man be a liar. I thank you that, Lord, that you came, Jesus came preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. I thank you that salvation allows us to enter the kingdom, that salvation assures us of eternal life with you. But you said that eternal life, you said that eternal life is to know you and your son. And so, Father, we thank you that we have been saved, spared eternal separation from you, and that now, God, our responsibility is to grow in the knowledge of you and your kingdom as kingdom citizens. I thank you, Lord, for breaking down your word, rightly dividing it, that we may mature as kingdom citizens who happen to be husbands and wives. 
Father, I thank you that you are making us infinitely more powerful as we come into knowledge of the kingdom and that we have two units, God, capable of leading, capable, God, of providing, capable of protecting, God, capable of submitting and receiving and preparing and vulnerability, God. I thank you that your kingdom is coming, and because it is, your will is being done in marriage. I thank you that divine makeovers are taking place, God, and this nation, God, will be infiltrated with kingdom marriages, God, that you would be glorified and that our nation would return to its biblical roots. Lord, I bless you and I thank you for what you're doing in the heart of your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, Amy, I think this is a good place to take questions because, boy, I have said a mouthful, and I'm just going to pause and let you uh, facilitate uh, questions from here. Amy, if you're on the line, you'll need to start. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Let me do this, Amy, before you go. Let me give the replay number for today just in case folks do want to jump off the call uh, or have other things to do uh, so they'll have that information. So if you, okay. uh, want to hear, if you want to hear this replay, the number is 605-475-4980. The access code is 341-000-POUND. The reference number is 85-POUND. You can also hear this message beginning later on this evening on Spotify. You'll just need to download the app if you don't have it called Spotify, and then in the search bar, put Marriage Reform with Kim Moore, and later this evening, this session will be uploaded to Spotify. Okay, Amy, I'm ready. We can take some questions now. Okay, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. I have a question that was submitted, and it says, what does humility look like in a marriage? I hear people say you've got to remain humble. In marriage, uh, humility, that's a a good question. Humility, um, it comprises many things. Um, And I'll, I'll, I'll summarize it by saying humility is obedience to the word of God. For some people, it may look like closing your mouth and sitting down and let your life display God's glory and his word. For people, it may look like standing up, speaking up in spite of the opposition because God has asked you to. So humility is obeying the word of God as he reveals it to you, and it is submitting. So when we obey, we're talking about submitting to the word of God. And for some, again, it looks like speaking up. For some, it looks like shutting up. And that's why we have to be careful when we just give out these um, these. 
uh, one-liner definitions that humility is just submitting to the Word of God. You know, it is submitting to the Word of God, but it looks different. But it's the self-same spirit that would enable one and grace one to be quiet, and it's the self-same spirit that would grace one to speak up. So in marriage, if you're the talker, nine times out of ten, humility is going to look like you being quiet. And if you are the quiet one in marriage, then nine times out of ten, humility is going to, God is going to want you to speak up. Because as a kingdom citizen, you have to learn how to be quiet and speak at the Lord's behest. And the other thing I would just throw in is because, you know, there's a false humility. You know, a false humility is able to quote, quote scripture, does it very well. False humility will, will, you know, sometimes, you know, they'll try to be humble. You know, I just, I just, I'm trying to be humble. Listen, whatever you're trying, you're not. He said it again. Whatever you're trying, you're not. So just drop the trying and be. And so we have to remember that God speaks to each one, and, 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 and so humility is obeying the word and the voice of God as you understand it. The Bible says in Philippians 2.13, it is God in you giving you the power, energy, and grace to will, that is to decide, to do what pleases him, not yourself. So hopefully that was clear. That was good. And then I'd like to open the line. If anyone has a question, you can just star six. And go ahead with, with your question. Please give your name so I know who I'm talking to. Wow, don't all holler at once. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Amy, sometimes it's like, you know, after I teach something, it's just like, you know, when we go places and we speak, it's like people are looking like deer in their heads, like, like, what did she just say? And the response that we, and the feedback sometimes we get back is like, I'm just taking it all in, what was just said, and just kind of speechless. And so I don't know if that might be going <laughs> on, but I mean, it exactly. Happens. Maybe not a question, just a, uh, trying to take in all the meat. <laughs> take it, take it in, or you know, question or comment, I, I, I don't know. But we, we won't try to uh, make up anything if there are no more questions and, or if you don't have any more questions, we'll keep it moving. No, I do have another one submitted. Um, it says, what do you do when your spouse doesn't seem interested in the same things as you? How can you reach them? Why do they have to be interested in what you're interested in? Why? I think that's the that's the question I would ask. Why why do they have to be interested in what you're interested in? Very true. <laughs> I mean I, I mean no, that's a real question. I'm not trying to be facetious. But where in Scripture does it say that your husband or your wife has to be interested in what you're interested in? I mean, we would all like our, our spouses to, to be interested in the things that we're interested in. But the reality of it is they aren't going to be interested in everything we're interested in. And some of us, we, 
you know, we may do things and take part in things because it's the enjoyment of our spouse and we like to see them and take part in their enjoyment. But there's no requirement to do that. I mean, I love boating, enjoy boats, want to be out on the boat. And I remember when I was married, my ex-husband didn't like boating at all, at all. And matter of fact, said to me, you need to learn how to operate, get this boat in and out of the water for yourself because I don't always want to go with you. So there were times he would go um, to, to be a blessing to me, but he didn't always go, and he didn't have to go, and I learned how to do it all myself. So my question again is, why does your spouse have to be interested in what you're interested in? Hopefully you have some shared interest, but there's no law or requirement that they have to be interested. Kim. Yes. This is BJ. I, I, hey, found, BJ. I found that when you're not always doing the same thing, when you are different people, when you learn what is, is important to your husband and he learns what is important to you, you it, it opens up a whole new world for the for you to, to learn not only that uh, what each other likes, but you wind up kind of liking the same things anyway, and you broaden your concept. You broaden your Absolutely. outlook because of Absolutely. sharing. You know, you don't have to go find somebody else to share that time with. You share it with your spouse. That's it. That's exactly right. And so when you do have and you develop different interests, it broadens the relationship. And actually, I tell you, when I came back from boating, I had an energy. I had an availability. And so my interest fed my spirit, my soul in some way. And so you have more to give. And so when you have more to give and you're more available, great things happen. It's sharing each other's excitement on, on new levels. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember some of the gifts I would get were for my boat. So even though my family didn't necessarily like boating, he contributed to my enjoyment of it by buying things that, you know, I could use with the boat. That's how he supported my interest. He acknowledged it too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, they, so yeah, why, yeah, I think there's so much more to be gained. Hopefully you do have some shared interest because that's, that's how the marriage, that's another way the marriage grows. But, my gosh, you don't have to have everything. You don't have to share everything, have the same interest about everything. In fact, it's great when you don't. Mm-hmm. Yep. Another question or Amy? Well, I just know um, I remember when my husband decided to take a little hiatus from church, that was really hard, you know. Not that I would have said, oh, we have a religious marriage or not. I just figured we had this great marriage. And I remember the first time that he decided uh, he wasn't going to go to church for a while, and I mean a long while, boy, that really – you know, I, I just felt lost for a minute. And then I kept trying to get everyone to fix him. Like, hey, something's wrong. Uh, John doesn't want to come to church. You know, John's not searching for Christ right now. And I made it my problem. And, and um, it was 
so amazing when I realized that I just needed to go to God and that God was still in control and had something for John um, and that I didn't need to keep trying to convince him and in that regard. And our relationship grew deeply and his relationship with God grew as well. But initially it was just so shocking. And that goes back, I think, to what you were talking about today you know, it really um, jolted me when the person I was looking at as the leader of my home back a few years ago was no longer interested in anything spiritual. So had I, you know, hindsight understood kingdom principles, it probably wouldn't have rattled me as much, but it really did rattle me at the time. Absolutely. I mean, and I can see that. And, and I hear them. I have, I have women and wives come to me and say, and my husband's not going to church. You know, can you get one of the men to talk to my husband? No, I can't. Why? Because his relationship with God is between him and God. And see, when you understand kingdom, when you were taking responsibility for your life, and I've seen this happen over and over again, when you begin to take full responsibility for your life, your decisions, and listen, all things may not be your fault. But there are some things that happen in marriage. It may not be your fault, but it's your problem. And when you take responsibility for the problem that you are experiencing, then what happens is you free, you, 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 you become free because now you're not depending on another to fix your problem. You're not, you're, you're not holding out, uh, you're not giving your power to someone who is proven not able to fix your problem. So when you take your life, and, and, and Jesus said it, and I say it continuously because it's a principle of the kingdom, and Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down only to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. It is a kingdom principle that each one must take responsibility for their own life. And when you find you're really taking responsibility for your life, there is a freedom you will experience. And I'm telling you this, when you experience that freedom, you will want to give everybody you know and love that freedom. I, it, it, I can't explain how it works. But when I became free, the last thing I wanted to do was to control and manipulate other people's decisions. I wanted to keep my freedom. And when I was trying to manipulate and control, I was not only stealing other people's freedom, I was taking away my own. Here's the thing. You can't breathe enough oxygen for your spouse. You can't eat enough food for your spouse. You can't eliminate enough waste for your spouse. You can't. You can't live enough life for your spouse. Each one must breathe air for themselves, must eat food and eliminate food for themselves. Each one must take responsibility for his spiritual and emotional well-being. It doesn't mean that you can't intercede, pray, and stand in the gap. It just means that it stops after you get up out of prayer that after you pray, it becomes the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to use the tracks you have laid through prayer as, as, as the entrance into your spouse's life. But God will never manipulate 
your spouse. And so even the prayers we have to pray as free people, as kingdom citizens, they cannot reek of manipulation and control. Hopefully that makes sense because I, I don't want to belabor the issue. Well, do we have any other questions? And otherwise we will wrap up. Hey, Kim, this is Patsy. And hey, is Patsy. Good. Hey, yeah, and, and you know, I, I can remember uh, years ago um, uh, in, my, in my, you know, my early walk with the Lord and interceding, and I continue to intercede, as I've mentioned many times from my husband, and I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing um, little steps forward, and so I rejoice in everything, you know, uh, I use this illustration, just when you see babies taking a step or two, and they might fall down, but they get up and they take another step or two, well, I rejoice, and we clap, and we're happy, Likewise, I do the same, and and I know that God is um, working things out, and he's always told me, trust me, trust me. But going back to what you were saying, um, that's one of the things that uh, I had to learn, and, 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 and that's okay, because... We, we, we all have a starting place where we have to, to uh, learn and grow. And some of my prayers, you know, what you're talking about, is even concerning you know, the spirituality. And I had to realize I am not the Holy Spirit. And that's, you know, that's, that's right. up to the Lord to bring conviction and to bring him along. That's right. Now, I yep. continue to, to intercede. But one of, some of my prayers was, Lord, make him this. And more, Lord, do, and that's manipulative, the very thing you're talking yes, about. That's right. Lord, yep. do something. Lord, you know, and, and it's like trying to control God. And, whoa, wait a minute. God created him. You That's know? right. And so it, it was a thing that I also had to learn. Um, so just kind of piggybacking on what, what had already been said. No, I mean, I think we all have to learn it, really. And we continuously learn and need to examine and make sure that our prayers and our conversation is not manipulative. We can't use scriptures to manipulate each other in marriage or any other relationship. God is just not a part of that. He does not manipulate people. He doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't coerce people. He doesn't guilt or shame people. One of the most harmful things that wives can do to husbands is, is, and I use this word because it's graphic and it, it, it really, um, it, you can see it. They emasculate or castrate husbands, and God is not happy with it. He doesn't do that. And we do it by criticizing. We do it by lording the word of God over them. We, I mean, we have, a, a, it's just amazing to me. See, we have a generation of, and I think I've said this before, but we have a generation of men that have been raised to be players. They play games, they play video games, they play sports, and they play women. Then we, that same generation of women have been raised to be responsible. They're responsible for people, they're responsible for places, and they're responsible for things. We marry them, and then the husband wants the wife to play more, and the wife wants the husband to be more responsible a.k.a. in some ways they experience a religious role reversal. And so they have problems immediately, particularly when they superimpose religious marriage. 
because in religious marriage, men are assigned certain, husbands and wives are assigned certain needs, certain roles. And when they don't meet those needs or fulfill the roles, then the marriage will implode. And that's what we're seeing today. So in kingdom marriage, when a husband comes as a player, that is, they have not learned to be, see, you can't be responsible for others until you're responsible for yourself. And so sometimes men and husbands come to marriage and because they have played and have been taken care of, they marry wives who can take care of them. But God wants us to grow and become mature kingdom citizens. So the kingdom response to a husband that is learning how to take responsibility for himself is not to shame and guilt him into it. It is to encourage him. And as Patsy says, just be thankful for every approximation he makes toward taking responsibility for himself and the things that God has put in his influence, uh, given him to influence. And similarly, if a wife has not learned how to play and be, you know, more carefree, the kingdom response, uh, we don't shame her and guilt her and call her names. The kingdom response is to create opportunities so that if she chooses to want to try to play, the opportunity is there without condemnation. Oh, boy, we could talk about this for some time. I'm going to drop the mic and leave it right there because he's probably going to be sending me a text soon or something too that we need to move on. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to stop before you <laughs> okay, I'm I'm done. I hear you. <laughs> God. We're just passionate about it. We could keep talking another hour. Absolutely. Um, it's been they just have to invite you to their church or their group to come come spend a few days and let's just dialogue about this thing. I tell you, it will change your life first, and it will change your marriage. God wants every husband and wife to experience freedom like never before, to experience more personal power and more love inside of marriage so they don't have to keep stepping outside. And so we can help you with that. We'd love to come speak at your church or your organization, your marriage retreat, your women's group. I don't care. We'll come speak to your civic organization. We'll come speak because we believe God wants to set husbands and wives free. Don't forget the replay number for today's call is 605-475-4980. The access code is 341-000-POUND. The reference code is 85-POUND. And, again, you can hear this message later on tonight on Spotify and that is uh, put in uh, the search bar, Marriage Reform with Kim Moore. And, again, if you are interested in helping us uh, come to your state, then email me at kim at more, M-O-O-R-E, on relationships.com. Put your state and just the word volunteer in the uh, subject line. Don't forget, you can find out where we are, what we're doing at my, on my website, more, M-O-O-R-E, on relationships.com. Uh, and then also you can find me on Facebook at Kim Moore Ministries or Kim Moore. 
Um, I post most of the marriage material on Kim Moore Ministries. And so follow us, like us, tell somebody about us, spread the word. The kingdom has come, and there is a divine makeover taking place in marriage, in the body of Christ, and that you're a part of it. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you on the call next Wednesday. Oh, don't forget, Facebook tomorrow, live at 1. Oh, boy, pray for me, please. <laughs> God bless you. And we'll yeah, Kim we'll... doesn't love Facebook Live, so come support us. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just really don't. I mean, I'm just, I get comfortable with I these calls. Say, it's I'm not much... your preference, right? <laughs> It's, I'd rather be much in front of a live audience with people sitting where we can interact with each other. I know they say you can do that on Facebook. The problem is I can't see you guys. I can only see your comments and interact with you that way. And, and so as I figure that out, I'm going to be talking and trying to look at your comments. So just pray for me tomorrow because Well, I'm here you go. Old. This is an example of humility. You don't love it, but you're willing to do it. I am willing to do it for the sake of the kingdom and to get this message to as many people as possible. So, yes, I'm willing to step out of the comfort zone and, um, and do it because this is what we must do in this hour. We must speak up, we must show up, and we must be willing to humble ourselves and obey God even when it is at the expense of ourselves in Jesus' name. Amy, did I get everything? You got everything. We love you guys. A big hug to everybody. I just love you guys so much. Thank you for praying with us, and we pray for you guys every week, and we just love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, we will see you on the call next week. God bless you or tomorrow on Facebook. Take care.